0: Well, welcome everybody. We are glad that you are with us today. Members, it is glad, it is good to see you. You know, after two years and plus of COVID, it is good to see all of you and more and more of you, as Bill pointed out, uh, as the pandemic continues to spiral down, we're grateful for that mercy. And and visitors, we're grateful that you've uh, come our way. You've come to a good place. And I uh, hope you'll stay around and have some coffee with us in between the worship service and our Bible classes, give us a chance to get to know you. This is a good group of people. You won't be sorry you did. Uh, we are, as Jeremy pointed out in the communion talk this morning, we are working through uh, this first letter of John, mostly. And so if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn over To John chapter 3, we're going to go back into John 2 a little bit and come forward and do some things. Uh, John really presents us with a puzzle. This is a puzzle that uh, lots of different people have written about in various ways uh, down through the years. Because in this section, he says it a couple of different ways. I'm just going to quote verse 9. Chapter 3, verse 9, whoever has been born of God does not sin you get that? Whoever has been born of God, have you been born of God? Yes. If you're baptized, you're born of God. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he's been born of God. Wait a minute. I remember just two chapters ago, John, you warned us really strictly. Jeremy pointed this out in his communion talk. If we claim to be without sin... John chapter 1 verse 8 If we claim to be without sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So what is it? John you can't have that both ways. What is going on? What does John mean about to say to us about sin? It's pretty important whatever it is, but what does he have in mind? Well, that's what I want to talk about uh this morning i want i want to kind of go through some of the logic i think that john has in mind my I mean, there's all kinds of debates linguistic debates greek how does greek express continuing in an action versus individual sloss, slices of action versus being in a state of a certain kind and not being in a state of another kind you know greek like English, grammar is a, is a natural language. It's imperfect. But so, so there are debates on that level, and there are debates on the theological level. Here's, here's what I think is going on. You study it, and you figure it out. Uh, John isn't talking when he says, those who are born of God do not sin or do not continue sinning, as the NIV translates it. He's not talking about, I mean, he is talking about individual actions, but that's not the focus. It's not so much about individual failures as it, about, as it is about our whole lifestyle. That is, he starts the book saying, you know, this, this thing that we're doing as Christians uh, is about walking in God's light. And and keeping, you know, correcting your course so you're staying with the light of God. You know, you stay in that bright part and not getting off and straying over in the darkness where you've fallen down and, and looking silly. Stay in the light. It's about the direction of your whole life. It's not about these individual failures. This is kind of a big deal. Um... In our family, we kind of have a family joke that goes all the way back to the childhood of our, our, our boys. Uh, you keep that up, I'm going to sell you to the Midianites. <laughs> See, uh, in our Sunday morning Bible class, we're studying Genesis. We're going to get to the selling to the Midianites story in the life of Joseph. His brothers got so sick of him, they sold him to the Midianites. and And when James... Our oldest son was four years old. We said that a lot. We thought it was hilarious. Yodi and I was an inside joke. Uh, He did not think it was funny at all. We're going to sell you to the Midianites. You keep that up. We're going to sell you to the Midianites. Because he really thought we might just do it. You know, you mess up one time, buddy. And he didn't know who the Midianites were. But he didn't like that idea. The reason I make that point is there is a style of preaching, and unfortunately there is a style of church leadership that is afraid that it can't get you to do anything as a Christian unless it threatens to take away your salvation gonna kick you out, send you to hell. Unless you, you know, show up for church, unless you read your Bible, unless you behave this way sexually, unless you behave this way. that I can't get you to, unless, unless you teach Bible school, send you to hell. Uh, there is a style of leadership that believes there's no other motivation that works really for Christians other than threatening them with hell. Just take away your status as a child of God and kick you out and send you to hell. I wanna tell you something, folks. I know that style exists. I experienced it a lot growing up. Some of you did too, I know. I am so grateful that that's not Jesus, and that's not John. That's not what John is getting at. He is saying, don't you get it. We're going to sin. Anybody who says they're not failing sometimes is lying. And they're actually kind of saying God's a liar. And the deal is, your status as a Christian, and somebody promised this in the first chapter, your status as a Christian is this, that when you do fail like that, those individual sins, as we're walking in the light, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive our sins. As we Come back into the light with confession. We're lighting up our sins. He's faithful to forgive us our sins. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us. That promise is not negated by what, Paul, what John is saying here. He's saying this thing about the kind of life you are living as a direction of your life. I think there are three questions we can sort of ask ourselves to structure, and to kind of test ourselves. How am I doing with living this kind of life before God? What's my life like? How far along? None of us are all that far along probably in this project, but how far along am I? in following the anointing of the Holy Spirit and leading me to be this kind of person? How far along am I in that? Three questions I want to put out to you. That's going to be the sermon this morning. Question number one, you can write it down if you don't have the study sheet. Are we living full-time as children of God or are we still keeping our old room back at the devil's house? Are we living full-time as children of God Are we still keeping our old room back at the devil's house? One of the ways that John structures his thoughts here is in terms of whose child are you acting like? Whose child are you? What household are you belonging to or at least acting like you belong to? If you've got your Bibles, you can look in chapter 3. Look at verse 1. He just has an outburst in verse 1. He just kind of can't contain himself. Behold, what Manner of love, the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Isn't that amazing? He just—he's just like overwhelmed for a minute there. He's just, isn't that incredible? Do you deserve to be a child of God? I don't deserve to be a child of God. None of us deserve it, and yet, in spite of the messes we make. God, because of the faithful righteousness of Jesus Christ, has anointed us, has cleansed us, has washed us in baptism, and has brought us into his house and says, this is where I want you to live. Right? It's amazing. And John's, you know, thinking about that incredible privilege of being made children of God, but he says, One of the things that can go wrong in the Christian life is that I keep, you know, moving back in with my old family. Look at what he says starting in verse 4. Everyone who sins, chapter 3, verse 4, everyone who sins breaks the law. Sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared, Jesus appeared, so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as Jesus is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil's been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue in sin because God's seed remains in them. They can't go on sinning because they've been born of God. This is how we know the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Anyone who does not do what's right is not God's child, nor is anyone who doesn't love their brother and sister. It's about what household are you staying in? We have this incredible privilege to be here in God's house. And I don't mean the building. I mean here in God's family. And some of us, because of habit, because of attachment, keep getting pulled back to the devil's house. It's like we're keeping our toothbrush there. That's not okay. John says, that's not okay. You, each one of us kind of has the job now as the Holy Spirit gives us guidance. As the word of God tugs at our consciences and enlightens our minds, each one of us has the job now to, to kind of move our furniture out of the devil's house. And make sure we are fully living in God's house as God's children. What that looks like for you is going to be different than the way it looks for me. Because your background's different than me. The way that you lived in the devil's house is different than the way I lived in the devil's house. That's going to be different for everybody. But we all got to do it. Finish moving out of the devil's house. You're going to work on that the rest of your life. And when you mess up, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins as we come into the light confessing what we did. Second question that I think is helpful. Are we all in with our love affair with God? Or are we keeping our options open? It's another way I think that John sort of structures his thoughts. This brings us back into chapter 2. One of the most interesting statements in the first John to me. Chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. If you've got your Bibles, you can flip back there. It's on the study sheet too. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires are passing away. But whoever does the will of the Father lives forever. That's such a fascinating passage to me. It's fascinating for a whole bunch of reasons. It's like John has said, he's looked out at all the different things that make Christians miserable and make people out in the world miserable. All the different ways that we fall down and fall away from what's good for us and good for the world. And he kind of breaks it into these three categories. Like these are the three big groups of sin. The whole bunch of sins that kind of fall under the big category. Lust of the flesh. You know? Messing up sexually, gluttony, drunkenness. Those would all be uh, uh, sins of the flesh, right? Don't do those things. Sins of the eye, lust of the eye. Oh, I was so happy with the new car I bought until I saw my neighbor's even newer car. I was really happy with my underarm deodorant until I saw that new commercial, and now I must have, right? I mean, just whatever it is, you get it, right? Lust of the eye. I can't believe Turns out the person in the next cubicle doing exactly the same work, been here two years less than I've been here, making $500 more a year than I am. I can't believe it! Lust of the eye, right? And John says, there's a whole bunch of stuff that all fits under that. Right now, we've got a country that is being bombed back to Stone Age. Because mainly one guy kind of has lust of the eye. I just, I'd like to stretch my borders, you know. I've been looking at that map, it's been bugging me. I feel like our borders should go back around Ukraine like they were during the old Soviet Union times. Lust of the eye. A whole bunch of sins fit in that category. And then the last one, probably the big one, The pride of life. How many sins fit under that one? How many sins fit under that one? You got anybody in your life? Don't answer me, okay? Don't raise your hand. Try to keep your face still. Do you have anybody in your life Where, when you think of them, the first thought you have is, well, if they come and apologize, I will consider whether to forgive them. Don't, don't move your face. I don't wanna know. It's for you to know and God to know, right? That's the pride of life. That's a severed relationship, and usually the pride of life is under that. Right? Something happened. Something bad. Maybe both of you, but at least one of you. And now the pride of life is keeping that relationship severed, usually. How many sins, how many disorders, how much suffering falls under this umbrella, folks? So well, John's pretty savvy. He's pretty smart. He's using very simple language to capture some really deep concepts. He says, we rip ourselves to shreds, we rip each other to shreds, lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, pride of life, tearing our hearts out, and our Savior, Jesus Christ, came to destroy the work of the devil. He came to set us free from these things. And to help us do the thing that we really, in our heart of hearts, want to do, which is to fall all the way in love with God. Any of you who've ever fallen in love, it isn't like in the romance movies. I mean, it's fun. But I remember being terrified. Falling in love is scary. There's a scary component to falling in love. Because there's a time when you got to say, okay, (laughs) I don't know how this is going to go, but I'm still going to dive in. Falling in love with God's like that a lot. Because you don't know where your relationship with God is going to go. It's not like he gives you a list. He says, now, if you sign up with me, this is what's going to happen when you're 30, and this is what's going to happen when you're 37, and this is what's going to happen. He doesn't do that. Just like Jesus on the Sea of Galilee, you, follow me. You got to jump in or not. And And this whole life that we're trying to live, Christians, is a life about, am I going to go ahead and, and make that jump? And make that jump every day. Today, I'm in love with God. And those things that keep saying, oh, no, you really want to. We could just go out on Friday night, you know, lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, pride of. We could, we could, just, we could just sneak off Saturday afternoon. Who's going to know? Those little temptations like that part of my job to say no I'm done with I love God I'm in love with God this is where my health is this is where my happiness is this is where my stability is this is where my you know my brain sanity is I'm in love with God third question Are we growing into the future we've been promised in Christ, or are we still stuck worrying about being judged with the world? Another way that I think he kind of organizes his thoughts, this is a big deal, he comes back to this in chapter 4 as well, but this kind of starts in chapter 2 and lops over into chapter 3, these these chapter divisions aren't inspired, so you know, you got to be careful. Chapter 2 down in verse 28, you've got your Bibles. Now little children, abide in him, live in this place, have this lifestyle, live in this place, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. You get that? I don't know what you were raised like, but, and I'm sure this isn't the only sermon I heard when I was growing up, but I heard this was the one that had the most emotional resonance for me. I don't know what the words were that were said, but the sermon I remember in my heart as a kid was, you better be worried because Jesus might show up right now. But I don't know if you heard that sermon. Again, I don't know what the words were. I just know that's the message I got. You better be scared. What if he came right now? What if he came? What are you thinking about right now? Because I tell you, there's a style of church leadership that thinks that's the only way to get you to do anything. That's wrong. And thank goodness our Bible doesn't agree with it. John says, you have been granted a position because of Christ where that's the opposite of what you feel when you think about the coming of Christ. You're not going to be ashamed when Christ shows up. You're going to be happy when Christ shows up. You're going to say, at last, finally, this, this hope is going to be realized. This, this thing that nobody else has known about and, and has been denying and has been kind of making fun of me for believing has finally been manifest to the whole world. It's the opposite of being ashamed. It's finally being able to step up and say, I told you it was Jesus the whole time. Now, little children, abide in him, stay in him, that when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, Now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we will be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. That's our future. That's the future that has been granted to us. It's an amazing, again, some um, very simple language to express some amazing concepts. Do you know what you're going to be like when Jesus comes back? You may be in the grave. You may have already died. They may have taken you out and buried you under a tombstone. I hope they write something nice. I think, honestly, you should just write it yourself just to be sure. That's what I plan to do, because I don't trust them. (laughs) I'm going to write my own. But whatever. They may have buried you. You know what happens when Jesus comes back? That grave can't keep you in there. Just like Jesus' grave couldn't keep him, your grave opens up. You come out. Or it could be that Jesus comes back when you're alive. And Paul says over in 1 Thessalonians, in The blink of an eye, twinkling of an eye, blink of an eye, whatever you are now changes into what you're going to be. And John says, what are we going to be? We don't know. But what we know is we're going to be what he is, what Jesus is. Jesus is already there. He's our pioneer. He's the perfecter of our faith. He's already there. We're going to turn into him. We're going to be like him. Our bodies are going to be like the body he had. We're going to be ready to enjoy the new heaven and new earth, whatever that is, which also hasn't been revealed fully. Right? That is not something to be afraid of. That is not something to be ashamed when that happens. That is something to be living your life today in anticipation of that glory this is what gives you the juice tomorrow when you get up out of bed to say today i'm going to love god with all i've got i'm going to love these people that god has given me they don't really, the people that god has given me sometimes they're really lovable they're not always lovable That doesn't matter because God has given me this incredible gift of letting me be his child and this incredible future of turning me into this amazing being like Jesus. And in that hope, I can love these people that God has given me to love. I'm going to do it another day. I'm going to do it another day after that. I'm going to love God. I'm going to love these people. If you want to understand what John means when he says we can live without sin, we can live the person who's born of God does not sin or doesn't continue to sin. That's what he's talking about. It doesn't mean you don't mess up sometimes, you do. But he means you have come out of the sinful gunk and you are now living Stay by day, in this condition of heading to heaven to be with God. Amen. Brothers and sisters, that's some good news. Amen. If you need to respond to God's great invitation, if you need prayers or help, if you need to repent of something, change something in your life, you want to talk about that publicly to the church so you can get prayers from the church to support you to do that, or if today's the day you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to take his name, to be his child, to be born with this new life, born of God, by, by accepting Jesus Christ, believing in him, repenting of your sins, confessing his name, and being washed in the waters of baptism. If you want that, then why don't you come as we stand in our let-in song?